Blog Talk Radio. Rodney Smith, 
bringing you another edition of our own voices live as we try to do each and every Saturday unless there's some natural act that prevents us and occasionally some technology stuff too. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the cultural and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. And boy, do we need that bridge now. A little bit more about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is based off of Our Own Voices, a print magazine, as well as digital magazine. We use that, and that led us to this radio show to extend our reach and extend the conversation and make it more real time. Hence, Our Own Voices Live on Blog Talk Radio. Is America at war with black people? And we're going to discuss Clark County uh, politics and politics near you. So hopefully you uh, are listening and you'll maybe let a few other people know that we are on. These are some of our topics. Uh, There can be more. If you would like to call in to our show, you surely can. And you can do so by dialing 347-826-9600. 347-826-9600. Really would love to hear from you all today because there is so much in the news, so much. Of course, locally, we have the Las Vegas Black Film Festival going on. We talked about it last Saturday, and it is in full effect. I went on opening night, got a, got a chance to go to the reception, meet some really wonderful people in the cast, family, friends, and other supporters. And then, of course, there was a viewing of the premiere movie, Institutionalized, by Miss Michelle. And you know, I don't want to give too much of the movie away, but there may be many of you walking around today, walking around, not not in a facility, but ask yourself, are you institutionalized in your mind? And as you do that, that same question can be asked to our country, especially to black Americans in general, but also to our law enforcement professionals. Are they institutionalized in their mind? And is that what is causing, contributing to some of these horrendous, violent acts against African Americans, specifically African males? But let me tell you, it is not just African American males. No, it is black people. I mean, it's it's almost something that we thought was gone 47 years ago, maybe maybe 40 years ago, but it has come back and with a roar, raising its ugly head in violence against many times innocent black people, 
predominantly male. But I don't want to get too hung up on male or female because if it happens to the male, it can happen to the female. And not only can it, what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What should be done about it? A lot of questions today. I think I have the answers for some of it, but surely not all of it, because it's going to take more than one person with this one. It's going to take a concerted effort. So that's what we're going to try to hit on today. Hopefully you will uh, you will call and let us know what you think about it. Because this is something that is almost like as if it's exploding. Instead of it getting less, there seems to be more of it. As many of you know, this radio show would not be done, it could not be done, if it was not for this wonderful young lady here, my co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas. Welcome to the show, Angela. What's good, Rodney? What's going on, world? Saturday again, and we're back with our own voices live. So here we go. Hey, yes, film festivals, here we go. Film festivals, more black men harmed. Uh, very important case in my city. Uh, young lady, officer, fires randomly into a crowd of young people who he felt was being too noisy and having too much fun. And... Uh, Shot her in the head. But this case is interesting because he randomly shot into a crowd, Rodney. Um, but what makes this case, he was, ex- uh, the charges were dropped, and they were dropped for a very interesting reason, and I don't know if a lot of people are paying attention. I'll, I'll get the uh, victim's name in just a moment, but I just want to speak on the case a little bit. Um, the sister was shot by this officer uh, who was off duty. Uh, They were assembled. Her and her friends were assembled um, near his home, outside, having a good time with one another, laughing, drinking, having fun, doing what young people do sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And he he, he just shot blankly into the midst of them. And she was shot into she was shot in the head in the back of the head. He was let go this week because the judge said that the charges he was he was charged with uh reckless uh man manslaughter it wasn't reckless it wasn't reckless in front of him he was charged with some form of manslaughter and the judge threw the charges out saying that this was clearly a reckless act. And because the charges he was facing did not reflect his recklessness, uh, he should have been, you know, she said that he should have been charged with uh, reckless homicide, first-degree murder, something along that lines. But because he was brought in by the uh, prosecution office by uh, at uh, a lesser 
you know, homo- uh, a lesser charge of manslaughter that she had to let him go because these weren't the proper charges. And because of Illinois' double jeopardy uh, situation, he can now not be charged again for the same crime. So they had to let him go home. And the union is putting him back out on the street ASAP. So this is interesting to me because we are going to have to deal with the nature of the state's attorney's office with the police department, with all of these other entities that work together to insert ex, to deal to administer crime and, and punishment because it's 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 harming us. No one can, very few people can hardly understand why this officer is not only um, not going to jail, but he's not going to ever be charged again for killing this young woman. And he's also going to continue his career in law enforcement. And there's nothing we can do. Well, I uh, maybe there's nothing that can be done in this particular case because of the law. So that is that very well could be true. But I do not believe that there's nothing that we can do. Right. I have great opportunities to listen to Patricia Cunningham's show this morning on uh, the topic of the gentleman who was killed, I believe it's in Baltimore. In Baltimore, yeah. his spine yes. was mm-hmm. severed. 80% of his spine is fractured. And... I uh, so so I so I did listen to it, and I thought we keep saying we hope something will be done, and but but we are expecting it to be a next time, which tells me that we have no faith in the system. But I don't see what we've done to push the system to change. And I believe it's great that we're talking about it, but we'll keep talking about it. We have to do more than talk about it. And we also have to do more than expect the police to police themselves when it comes to us. Yeah. It it has proven time and time again not to be and it is really to the point where I, I may not say often that our president needs to do something. So what I will say is this. Our new attorney general just appointed this week, Loretta Lynch. I, who wants to come in in the firestorm, but the storm is here. And I think that she and the Justice Department need to do an investigation on a national level of what's going on with black people. 
and the police. And there needs to be new structures put in place and maybe old structures torn down, revamped, removed, modified, somehow changed. And I do believe Absolutely. That we are we as the people at the level. We as the people also need to um educate ourselves because uh, you know, most people that were watching this case, a lot of people, I won't say most, but a lot of people thought that this was a slam dunk case in Chicago. Clearly he you know, did what he did and the outcome was the outcome. Um No one thought that uh, he would be. It would the charges would be thrown out. It's not a matter of even the case being determined, but for the case to be t- thrown out, it was really, you know, kind of a curveball that wasn't anticipated or even thought of. I don't think I, no one brought that up prior to. So we absolutely have to have the Attorney General and others. I mean, it doesn't get any higher than the Attorney General, but um, actions have to be taken by the people. And, you know, to take the right actions, you have to educate yourself. That's what I'm boiling down to say. <laughs> Just you know, kind of I shocking. Heard people say that uh, we need to teach black people what to do and what not to do when encountered by the police. And I I agree with some of that, but at the same time, it is not what the black people are doing to the police or what black people are doing to themselves. It's what police are doing to black people. So to say that black people need to educate themselves on how to conduct themselves around the police, I'm not saying that that shouldn't be done, but that is not the entire solution. Ask the gentleman that was shot in South Carolina who was pulled over at a filling station and did exactly what the officer told him to do, and the officer still shot him. And when the officer missed, guy had his hands up, was not charging towards the officer, was backing away, and the officer kept shooting him until he shot him down. Of course, we have the case of another gentleman in South Carolina who had the outstanding warrants for, I believe it was child support payments, I believe it was Mr. Scott, who took off running. Yeah. And, of course, he was gunned down. We know that the laws says that you don't shoot a fleeing suspect unless there's some danger, immediate danger to the community at large. Now, he was arrested. We don't know what the outcome of his case will be. Uh, the, fellow, the, the other fellow cop who shot the gentleman at the service station was also arrested. Don't know what the outcome, his outcome will be. So we do see that occasionally these things happen. But what we're also seeing is that when there is no video, the stories of the police officers, or when the police officers give their story <clears> in the absence of video, their stories and what the video shows is so different. Even to the point where 
I believe it was Swagger, Officer Swagger, who shot <coughs> in South Carolina, walked up and dropped what looked like something that could be used to justify him shooting Mr. Scott in the back. Later went back to retrieve it. But his report did not reflect that. So what black people have said for years is that evidence is planted. We even have videos on YouTube from security cameras showing police officers planting evidence. So we know this is true. We know know we have a problem with the police. I keep hearing what the the union, the Fifth Amendment rights, this, this, and I am all for, I'm not against unions when when needed. (laughs) I definitely am for the Fifth Amendment rights. But there does come a point when one person's right may trample on another person's right. And then a determination has to be made on which one, I guess, would have precedent. What we're seeing here in America is that it's always the police officer, almost no matter what. There's a problem there. And the problem has to be solved. Locally, we have a community panel that's supposed to be involved. What I'm going to suggest to all of you in the sound of my voice, if you are on one of those police panels, if you are on one of those, I hope that you are not a rubber stamp. I also hope that you look at what's going on in these other cases and try to get as many of those cases as possible and look at it so that you can make appropriate changes in your own police force or law enforcement and their practices, methods, and procedures. Because maybe if we look and see where others have gone wrong, we can do something to uh, prevent it from happening wherever we are by training our law enforcement professionals from the, the stuff that went wrong. Waiting and talking about it afterwards is not going to solve it, nor will it prevent other lives taken. All too often we hear, well, if we do something and it just saves a single life, when are we going to say that about police officers and black people? Or is it just the police officer's life that's important, which is primarily white? A lot of questions out there. I think I have a partial answer to some of them, but that answer involves us doing more than what we've been doing. And the sooner that we do the more than what we've been doing, the greater the chance of preventing another person. We don't even know what the gentleman in Baltimore was charged with. What was the the young lady that you mentioned, Andrew? What was she charged with? Uh, She was not charged. She was an innocent person walking to the store with her friends past this gentleman's home. He asked them to quiet down and got shot. He shot her. Shot her dead. Shot into the crowd, saying that he believed someone was coming Someone from that group was coming towards him with a gun. No gun was found, only a cell phone. See, those types of defenses 
seem to always be leveled at black people, almost as if there is an in, inherent fear of people against black people. Now, was the person who had this fear, were they black or white? They're not black. I asked that question to highlight that typically that is the case. Typically it is a white police officer shooting, beating, abusing, killing a black person. More times than not male, but it's also female. And as I said in the show, I wanted to put I wanted to say that. I wanted to put that down there. I wanted to put that out in in public so that our ladies, our women, know that we have not forgotten it. But there was a reason for me saying it that way, though. The young, really lady, young lady in Chicago, uh, Rekha Boyd, Boyd is her name, Rekha, Rekha Boyd, R-E-K-I-A, I'm butchering her first name, Rekha Boyd, she was just 22 years old. Uh, the detective... Uh, who was charged with involuntary manslaughter was Dante Servin. Um, she was shot in 2000, March of 2012. And uh, the judge, Dennis Porter, ruled that prosecutors failed to prove Servin acted recklessly by the legal definition of reckless. Well, if it if it was a white person or a non-black person, and their police officer directed towards a black person, there seems to always be these caveats that brings about innocence on the police. Now, I do believe that the police should have the freedom to conduct their job, to protect the public, to go after criminals. I believe that. And maybe there's some things that's going to be different for the general population. But as with anything, sometimes you have to go back and look at it and say, is it working? Whatever it is, is it working? And is it working sufficiently and effectively? The laws that we have, whether on the state level, the county level, or the city level, in many of these jurisdictions are structured in such a way that literally cops can just go out and shoot people in a crowd and get away with it. Police officers can shoot suspects. Remember, they're not criminals. They're suspects. Can just shoot them in the back five times and shoot at them eight times. See them get hit the first time the second time, but still keeps pulling the trigger. And one of the reasons why that's important is because sometimes maybe the first shot wasn't the fatal shot. Maybe the second shot wasn't the fatal shot. But the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, or however many times they get shot, that's sort of guaranteeing that there will be a fatal shot. There is something going on that needs to be fixed, but the fixing part needs to be more than us talking. Uh, I know we have a some type of police review board or panel right here 
with our Clark County uh, Sheriff's Department. And again, I would hope that they would review the cases that are have been very popular in the news, made big news, and those that happened, like the case that you mentioned, Angela. I had not heard of that. Uh, we need to. I, I would ask them to look at those cases and then look at our police department and see, do we need to change things here to prevent what's happening in other places from happening here, knowing that some of those things that's happened in other places has happened here in the past and not too distant past. 347-826-9600, press, press option 1 if you would like to talk because then that will give me an indication uh, to bring you on the line. I see the callers out there, and thank you so much for listening. And, you know, we're not talking about Baltimore uh, very much on the news right now. Mr. Uh, Bruce Jenner is trending all over the globe, uh, but it's 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 pretty serious. It's intense in Baltimore if... There are folks from in in the Baltimore area that are uh, take being active in in what's going on in in Baltimore. Uh, as far as the protest is concerned, please call in. Let us know what's going on. We we love to uh, hear firsthand from folks that are right there in the space. Yeah, and I started the show off talking about the incident in Baltimore because, of course, it's the latest, so it gets, you know, we it gets popular again. Right. The thing about talking about it, one, because it's a loss of life, and it's apparently a loss of life of an individual who had no charge. And some of the responses I keep hearing is, well, he must have done something because the police wouldn't have acted that way. He must have been guilty of something. Well, you know, the it's, possibility it's... of... No, go ahead. I I was just going to say it's very interesting. A lot of people a lot of people have been responding that way, but then I listen to the accounts from the people of Baltimore who are, who are living in Baltimore. Uh young black men primarily. I've been watching uh various interviews of black male black males there in Baltimore and they talk about the um temperature there and how it's normal for a police officer to you know rough hand rough rough handle black men in Baltimore and it's been going on for a very long time and during the ferguson um the the time most of the country was focused on ferguson there was a lot of at least on the online uh and social media worlds particularly I was following it on Twitter. There was a lot of Baltimore, and Baltimore wasn't uh, necessarily, well, the folks at the microphone weren't necessarily uh, saying no justice, no peace. And, you know, they weren't being peaceful protests per se. Nothing, they weren't, their slogans were very aggressive. No one was acting out, but their slogans were very different from the Black Lives Matter um, campaign, you could tell that 
the temperature was high based off of uh, the, temp- the 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 racial tension was very high. That's what I mean by the temperature was high based off of what I remember the chants being and how aggressive I remember them being. I, I, I think I talked on this broadcast about watching on C-SPAN the uh, Selma um well, the Sharpton, the the march that he did on Washington um, for Selma, I believe it was. No, it was his Black Lives Matter march that he did in Washington, that, that he uh, organized in Washington. And I remember there were a few members uh, from Baltimore that were involved in that march and, and spoke at the rally. And um, they were very heated uh about treatment that they were they were going through the young people were going through in the city and they were making some very strong suggestions on uh what we should be doing as a group nationally and it wasn't you know they weren't talking about the nonviolent movement they were saying we need to get in the streets and we need to you know get in the streets now because People are being killed. Well, Angela, I was thinking about that part of it, too. And what people fail to realize is they think of unrest in the Middle East. Sometimes they call it sectarian violence. Mm -hmm. Um, But I say, okay, since we have a difficult time understanding the Middle East, let's bring it to Europe, Western civilization. And let's talk about what happened with the Irish and the English. Uh, That really wasn't that long ago where there were terrorist acts within the United Kingdom of citizens of the United Kingdom. Now, I am definitely not advocating that. But, well, I am definitely not advocating that. There is no but. What I will say about it is you can only push people so far. And DJ Thump called into the Patricia Cunningham show today, and he talked about when he was in the Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts, how they would teach them that if there was a snake, not to run, to be still. If you encountered a bear in the forest, not to run, but to be still. But some of them who encountered the snake, and the bear that didn't run and were still got bitten and mauled by the snake and the bear. So after that happened for a while, the next time one encountered a snake or a bear, they didn't try to be still any longer. They took off running. People often say, well, why would an innocent person run? Well, DJ Thump gave us a great analogy of why a person would run. They have firsthand experience, or they've seen what happened to the person who didn't run. They saw the evidence get planted. So they take, they make a decision. I can stay here and put up with this, which I've seen doesn't go too well, or I can take my chances and run. And many people say, but you see that don't turn out too well either. And I like what Patricia Cunningham says, the paraphraser, is like we can sit here in this nice, comfortable uh, studio or living room 
and be armchair quarterbacks or armchair citizens apprehended by the police and say don't run. But put yourself under the stre- under the stressful environment of that, mm-hmm. and it may be a different thought and a different outcome. So we now the police is not going to change on their own, or so far they've proven that they're not going to change on their own. So that means that if we want change, we're going to have to be the change. That means work. If you think about the escalation of this, since Trayvon Martin, think about how many of these news stories we've dealt with. It's not going away. It is not lessening. It seems like it's increasing. And now I hear other people say, well, black people shouldn't commit so many crimes and they wouldn't have so much law enforcement. Well, technically, in most instances, black people don't commit any more crimes than white people. But it shouldn't make any difference because there's many instances where black people have committed no crime. This gentleman, I believe, in Baltimore wasn't even charged with anything. The young lady that you mentioned, she just happened to be walking. Mm-hmm. And she still got stuff. There was a story this morning um, that I was watching and reading about uh, in Tampa, Florida, where there are a lot of tickets, impoundment, and um, jailing of black people in Florida riding bicycles. If, If an officer sees you on a bicycle... In Tampa, they pull you over, and if you don't have proof that you bought that bicycle on you, you run the risk of your bike being impounded for 90 days. You going to jail, to jail, or, you know, being harmed, apparently. To jail for not having the bike receipt on you. Now you followed every traffic. You know, usually an officer pulling a, 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 a bicyclist over has everything to do with traffic and safety. It has. It, it hardly ever is a reason to pull people over for um, not having proof. They're writing a lot of tickets. They ma- they're making uh, this a revenue stream in Tampa, Florida, on ticket fines. Wow. So much so that the Tampa newspaper had to make a, a a whole investigation on this. And African Americans are being written, I think, like five times more tickets and citations and bike impoundments than anyone else. And it's just not... Uh just not Baltimore. We know that's part of the, one of the issues in Ferguson is that it became such a revenue stream. We used to joke about it in North Las Vegas is that North Las Vegas is broke, so make sure you, you're definitely on your P's and Q's because look for those cops to be stopping so they can make some money for the city. Now, on those certain days, it. yeah, it's still 
let's be real. It's still like that. You can tell when it's a um, what was said in in the um, roll call meeting. Get out there and write those tickets. We have our our you know quota to fulfill or whatever. It's something similar or close said because you can see the difference in um, uh, the visibility of the officers and how many of your fellow uh, community members are pulled over to the side. Sometimes on those uh, citation days, you see officers with two and three people pulled over, and he's, you know, writing those tickets. So will we just keep talking about it, or will we do something about it? Uh, let's let's bring it home locally to Las Vegas, and you bring it home locally to wherever you are. And ask yourself the question: What should be done, and what can you do? Now, I believe, and I've said this many times, is that this is not necessarily a case of just laws alone. You do need to look at the laws, but this is not a case of laws alone. This is a case of mindset. Because if a person is legitimately afraid of black people, you could give them a lie detector test and they say, yeah, I was afraid. Even if that black person wasn't doing anything, that would be considered threatening. But if that police officer says they felt threatened, and we know that in Tamir Rice, the gentleman that called in said that he believed it was a toy gun, but it still scared the so-and-so out of him because it was in the hands of a black person. Even if they thought it was a child. So we know that this is something that's in them, and I'm saying in them in non-black people, non-African-Americans, former people whose ancestors were enslaved in this country of America. There's some inherent sense of fear by people who are not African American and descendants of slaves in this country. Until we address that, these things will continue to happen, especially if the justification is saying that you're frightened. Because we say, well, why would they be frightened? No, he didn't do nothing to frighten them. It might not be what's done. It is because of the fact of who we are, just clear and simple. It has nothing to do with our actions. It's who we are, and they are automatically afraid of it. 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600. We'd love to hear from you all. Now, I know that there will be some from the other camp that says, well, if y'all would just not run, if you would just put your hands up, if you would just cooperate, if you didn't do drugs, when we know that the majority of people in this country that does drugs are white people, when we know the majority of the crimes committed in this country are done by white people, when we know that when they do the uh, stop, question, and frisk, that the majority of the people that happens to are black people, we also know that the drugs and guns that supposedly this law was put in place for the majority of the time, it is white people who are guilty of it, not black people. 
but black people get stopped at a disproportional rate. As you mentioned, in Baltimore, as I uh, emphasized in Ferguson, these things are real. There's tangible numbers now. We do need more data, and this is where I believe, unfortunately, it's time for the federal government to step in. In this case, probably at the attorney general's level, to address this issue and come up with some national policies and standardization. Until that happens, I need you folks who are part of these review boards and these other boards that deal with your local law enforcement agencies to not wait for something to happen, but to go ahead and look at methods and procedures now and make your recommendations or whatever the level of your particular charter group is to whomever it needs to get to. Let's start now. Start now. I think about the gentleman spy. 80, 80%. The lawyer of the gentleman, uh, William Murphy, he's the family lawyer, said Gray fell into a coma after his spine was 80% severed at his neck while he was in custody. An observer captured video of a clearly injured Gray being dragged into a police van. Remember when Officer, I believe the Strager, shot, uh, I believe Mr. Scott, after Mr. Scott took off running? After he shot him, there was no effort to render first aid. If you look at what happened to Jameer Wright, there was no effort to render first aid. I mean, you can just go back, even look at what happened to uh, oh, I, I, Mr. Garner in New York when he clearly stated that he couldn't breathe. If you look what happened, when was the first aid rendered? Not only are they attacking black people, but they're not rendering first aid, even if that person committed some violent or criminal act, which so far they haven't. When do they render first aid? Mike Brown, when do they render first aid? See, all of this needs to be looked at. This needs to be looked at in total, not just bits and pieces. But, you know, oftentimes we say the, the whole process, the whole system is corrupt. How much more evidence do we need to show that the system is corrupt? But it is not for white people, white police officers, to fix it. They have no reason to do so because mm-hmm. it doesn't impact them. As American citizens, you would think that it does because we're in this boat called America together. But that is not the reality, and we have to deal with the reality. Three four seven eight two six nine six zero zero. We're talking. You're on our own voices live. Our topic today is America at war with black people, and we we do have a second topic called Clark County politics and politics near you. I do want to say something else about uh, 
I, I want to read you all something. And this was something that came in Nazi Germany, World War II. And they say that you should be very careful and never compare anything to the Nazis. Because, of course, nothing can be as bad as the Nazis. Well, I beg to differ. What black people are going through in America today Yes, it's predominantly black men, and I'm going to address that in a minute, but it's also black women. Black people is reminiscent of what was happening with Jews as well as gypsies in Nazi Germany. And that is how our police officers are conducting themselves. Let me read you something. It says, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. But they, then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. And this was written by Pastor Neomoler. Neomoler. Now, that was back in World War II. Let me read you how that same passage is today. And I want you all to push this to Bear with me. First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for the black man, and I did not speak out because I was not a black man. Then they came for me. Okay, so these are the problems. And there was no one left to speak for me. So I've heard black women say that it's happening to black men because they're violent. The black woman that Angela mentioned just a little while ago was just walking. She wasn't doing anything. But the police still shot her. Children. Who's going to speak For the black man And then After they If you follow this trend In this in this poem that was written Who's going to speak Now that black women are dying Because they said it was Black men were violent Now what's happening to black women Who's going to speak for them Then it'll be black children That's a whole people. There'll be no one left to speak for them. This has to stop. Yes, we need the help and support of the good white people. I am not so sure we will get what we need because this potentially is something inherent in 
the mind embedded in the mind of white people. You heard it right here on Our Own Voices Live. Rodney Smith just said that. A part of this problem, quite possibly, is because this is something that is systemically embedded in the mind of white people and specifically law enforcement officials. Feel free to call and share your thoughts on that. Well, Angela, I suppose we could continue and talk about this. It won't bring him back. It won't bring him back. And so far, talk did not prevent this from happening to him in the first place. So where do we go from here? This is the question. It would be nice to hear every black elected official throughout the country speak up on this matter, whether in local, city, county, broader state, or federal position. It's time for you to speak out on this. It's time for black businesses to speak out on this. When Indiana and I believe Texas were about to pass or pass a religious freedom law, the religious freedom bill into law, we saw a Walmart. We saw Tim Cook from Apple, which meant Apple, protest on behalf of their company that that should not happen. This is happening to black people, and it's been happening to black people. Not only do we need our black and elected officials to stand up on this, but we need our black businesses to stand up for this. No differently than those businesses that support the LGBTQ community. We need them to stand up. But we don't need just them. We need every black American to also stand up. Now, I want white people, too, and everyone to see that there's something wrong with it. But if we won't stand up for ourselves, how can we expect someone else to stand up for us? Because most of them can go and live their lives and not give this a second thought. Remember, black people. I'm sure there will be more. I'm sure there will be another. And we will probably talk about it here just as we talked about this but we need to do more than talk. I think it's really interesting that uh, we don't have that much coverage of these situations. Uh, To me, seemingly right in the middle of, of everything escalating, suddenly the news channels the 24-hour news channels don't find this subject newsworthy anymore. 
get a little blurb here and there, but there was a huge rally this week in D.C. and in uh, they've been protesting all week in Baltimore. The crowds get bigger and bigger and bigger. I know this because I'm following it on online um, through outlets like Livestream and Periscope and um, Twitter. It's just very interesting to have to follow a news story that's in, important to a, to the peace and sensibility of this country. You have to search and scour the Internet to find reporting on it. And, you know, and reporting is one thing, but it's, it's action. I know that our country typically moves slow. But I can right. tell you what, with almost lightning, lightning speed and precision, when those laws came up in Indiana and Texas that had something to do with, it was titled Religious Freedom Restoration Act, mm-hmm. when those laws came up, as we have it right here in Las Vegas, in, in uh, Nevada, you saw the businesses jump up with the quickness. Walmart, the largest corporation in the world, Apple, the richest corporation in the world. There's not much more power that you can bring to bear in America other than money, that type of money. Those companies, leadership of those companies, says we don't want this to happen. And even after the law was signed in one instance, they they went back and said, hey, you need to take this back and you fix, need to fix it. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, you know, so for them to say, well, it's the law. That's the way it is. No, the law can be changed. Look how fast they changed it and how quick they moved in Indiana and Texas. Yes, black businesses, urban chamber of commerce in Las Vegas, urban chamber of commerce throughout America, black chamber of commerce, whatever particular name that you go under. Yes, urban league. Las Vegas, Urban League nationally, and Mark Moriarty, the president of Urban League, has really spoken out on a lot of these instances. Kudos to him. I would like to hear more about it from the local NAACP branch as well as the national NAACP. That's our female <coughs> organization. You need to talk about it. Put it out there in the spotlight. Social media, let's keep lighting it up. Let's keep lighting it up. If we don't, it'll die down until the next one. And we have to push. You know, here's the thing. This is an election season. They're talking about Hillary Clinton coming to Nevada, and I'm sure she's coming someplace near you. They're talking about Rand Paul coming to Nevada. Nevada is a battleground state. I'm sure they're coming someplace near you. Here's, here's a question. Matter of fact, I had to get up out of my air chair. I got to walk around on this. <laughs> Here is a question that should be posed to each one of those candidates when they come to visit you or they have a town hall, listening session, whatever they call it. And I don't care whether it's about health care or something else because this causing dying is some health care for you behind, as my grandmother might say. Each one of them should not be allowed to leave. Now, I don't mean hold them hostage, 
but keep asking the question of what would you do as president to fix this situation of black lives being taken by law enforcement? And then the follow-up question should immediately be, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now to curtail this incident of the loss of black life? You may not be, you, it's two years, well, not quite, but almost two years before the election. How many people have died in the last 18 months at the hands of police? We don't have 18 months, 22 months to wait. What are you going to do now? Think about it. The end. Of, I, I got a uh, a message. It says, told me. It says, reminded me that Baltimore is the home of the NAACP, and their convention will be in Philly this year. Yep, city of brotherly love this so, year. Black people. No one's going to do it for you. You need to push black leadership. They're, they don't, well, some of them actually do get paid, but those the organizations themselves are volunteer organizations. The Urban League, which Mark Morreale, he's, he's done a good job. But we need him to do more. We need him to do, we, we saw how it worked with the Religious Freedoms Act for the LGBT community. How black businesses, how how businesses, these are white-owned businesses, they were the big ones, but black business leaders, I know you say we're just about the money. We're capitalists. Well, look at them white people who own and run Apple and the Walton family. <laughs> yeah, they're some big capitalists, but they didn't let their practice of capitalism prevent them from speaking up on the social issue of the Religious Freedom Act that would be in pass. So I so I don't believe we can use that as an excuse any longer. And here's the other thing. Walmart and Apple, you get a lot of money from black people. If you can stand up that quickly for the Religious <laughs> Freedom Restoration Act, to be changed because of the potential of what it might have done to the LGBT members of the LGBTQ community, then you, and yes, you can't see my finger, but it's pointing and waving, (laughs) you need to do the same thing for Black Lives Matter. Get your factors going. Get your personal messages directly to the people in charge. Now, you black people, don't hold your breath for these companies to do it because they have no vested interest in doing it. It doesn't affect the bottom line. Mm -hmm. But will you go out and protest at Walmart? Will you go out and protest at an Apple store? And for all of my black conscious community out there, 
Yes, it does make a difference. Would you go out and protest in front of Apple and say if you did it for the LGBTQQ community, then why can't you do it for me? My brothers and sisters are dying in the streets. Where are you? You said you said it was about discrimination. Is it not discri- discriminant killing of black people? Or would that make it discrimination? Where are you? Where is your voice? Where is your phone calls? Where is your messages? Walmart, Apple. I picked them because they're big ones. <coughs> they, also, look, they changed Indiana and Texas governors' minds in a matter of hours. Yeah. Also, uh, in the in the effort of engaging corporate America in paying attention to this matter, you know, uh, about a month ago now, Starbucks, the the CEO of Starbucks, <clears throat> asked something that I thought was very honestly brilliant. He asked <clears throat> if. Americans with their cup of coffee would engage one another in a dialogue about race, their race, um, <clears throat> their race uh, initiative, and took so much heat, so much heat. We have. An African American female sitting on the board of that corporation that <clears throat> put in a, a Miss Melanie Hobson, Chicago's very own Miss Melanie Hobson, sits on the board of Starbucks and worked hard to impress upon that board how important we are to. <clears throat> this country and to their bottom line and to and how important this matter is to everyone <clears throat> that we're going through as a country right now and um so the CEO asked that we have a conversation and before me and Rodney could get to Starbucks with our la- with our laptops, microphones and cameras the CEO <clears throat> had uh, backed away from having the discussion that way about race because they took so much heat via social media and and the news and all of these uh, places. They were badly criticized and, frankly, condemned for, you know, encouraging Americans to talk to one another. Now, we have this very um, central matter happening, going on. And, you know, my my, my primary comment right now is to us, to, to brown people, to black people. If we can have a conversation about race, if we can't have a conversation about race, then... You know, where do we start to make the changes 
uh, about policy and and these other things that we we <clears throat> are trying to get some forward motion on. If if we can't have if it it, it all has to start with a conversation, and we had a very profitable, a very visible, a very uh, willing partner in that um, Starbucks initiative. And I think we really, we really lost, we really lost a golden opportunity to put a spotlight on some things that bother us. Something as simple as, you know, there's a whole natural hair movement. One one of the things I was going to highlight when we got our computers down there, Rodney, <laughs> and our cameras was, you know, they want people, non-black people wanted to know some of the issues from our standpoint, and we wanted to know some of the issues from their standpoint. One simple thing I was going to bring up, and every time it's been done to me, <clears throat> they didn't mean any harm, but they don't see the harm in doing this. Um, the touching of my hair, the touching of my head, the, you know, <clears throat> it's a very intimate thing to me. For someone, you know, Rodney, I had no hair for so long. I, I had the ball fade for so long, and I would joke with you all the time about how people would just reach out and touch my head. And, you know, ask whatever questions they wanted to ask about it. But, you know, first came the touch. And <clears throat> it didn't really matter. Or it never really, it didn't matter and it didn't dawn on them that you probably should ask if it would be okay for you to touch my head. And it shouldn't be filed under angry black woman. I'm pretty sure if I went towards them and, and extended my hand and began to run my fingers through their hair, that that would be seen as an act of aggression and would not be welcomed. So it's very odd to me that other communities think that it's okay to just move forward with their desire to touch my hair. I'm open to allowing you to have an experience if I feel like it, and you know it is my head, <clears throat> but I'm not open to the sense of entitlement. Entitlement that they are not even aware it's, they're so entitled that they're not even entitled. You know, they're not even aware of their <clears throat> acts of entitlement. Um, I can't tell you how many times I'm walking down the street and I'm being bumped into, full body bumped into, as if I'm invisible. I'm walking towards white people and... You know, there's a perfect, there's a, a courtesy kind of move to the side that we all generally do, <clears throat> but it doesn't seem to happen 
when they're walking towards a black woman, myself. I, I, I could film it and, and show tons of examples of, wow, this person really just doesn't, I'm invisible to this person. And, I, I you know, it's those small acts of <clears throat> nonchalantness, just, you know, that we could have had a dialogue about uh, with Starbucks. <clears throat> uh, there are other larger, of course, there are larger examples, but I think it's the small nuances that really feed um, what racism looks like today. Small you and I, oh, go ahead, Rodney. Small things going unchecked mean that there will mm. be more small things, and it's easier to go from a small thing to something slightly larger. That's just human nature. Some people call it progression. Uh, Dr. King called it uh, something else that was more insidious, uh, gradualism. Mm. And uh, he spoke about it, and you, and you all hear me talk about it. Because it's real And we're seeing examples of it Manifesting itself So Yes There is a certain level Of lack of agency Or perception of agency On the part of white people When it's associated with black people Especially especially descendants of slaves African Americans Blacks in America and, you know, I also wanted to end with this because I did put a call in to Starbucks headquarters to ask about the race conversation uh, program, and someone was kind enough to get back to me and said that people are still welcome to come to Starbucks and, and talk about race. They still want to see us utilize the, their space and their, their, their product and their brand to discuss race. So let's and take what them we up can do about offer. it. We should. Let's, 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 folks, and this is one, I mean, sure, Angela and I can go and do it, but to my folks in B-more, why don't you do it? It just happened there. I'm from New York, Bed-Stuy. So, folks, Eric Garner, why don't you do it? If no one else, if no one else, folks in South Carolina, Charleston, why don't you find the Starbucks and you all go in there, not be disruptive by any means, but you set up a meeting to talk about race. And you go to Starbucks and have a talk. Right here in Las Vegas, to my listeners right here in Las Vegas, let's do it. Let's. There's a Starbucks right at, I believe it's Cheyenne and Martin Luther King Boulevard. Let's go to Starbucks. And let's do it. And Melanie Hobson Hobson was on TV uh, last week talking about, you know, um, her board participation and the fact that they still, you know, Starbucks still wants to engage Americans in having this conversation because we got to fix it. I thought the people who ridiculed Starbucks were dead wrong. Yeah, Uh, it was a jump. 
Yeah, I think it was a, a a jump to, you know, assume that the organization and the CEO had some nefarious um, intent when we could have, you know, taken that opportunity to really inform one another. But let's do something more than just go there and talk, though. Now, I don't drink Starbucks coffee. I don't drink coffee. Now, it could be conceived as an advertisement, marketing, a marketing ploy. Well, we're going to get all these black people to come to Starbucks now. And we so they can talk about race, right? We gonna make Hopefully some, some white people will come, too. But how I about hope. this, though? How about, mm-hmm. how about this, Angela? We, I mentioned earlier that Walmart and Tim Cook of Apple, I believe it's Tim Cook, immediately sent, or pretty quickly, sent protest letters, letters of, uh, hey, we don't like this, you need to fix it, to the governors of Indiana and Texas, right? I don't know if Starbucks, the CEO of Starbucks, sent any letters out like that. Now, I'm happy that he's availing his place and saying that it's okay for us to have those conversations. Sure. And I really do appreciate it. That is great because it's more than nothing. It's something, right? And it took courage to do it. But some people might still say, hey, he's just trying to get us in there and get our money. Okay. Write him letters saying that you want him to not only afford you the space, because really you could have just went in there and done it, but it was nice of him to say it because it planted the seed, right? So I give him props for it. But let's write him a letter and say, we appreciate that, but we want you to do what other corporations have done. So there's precedence of it now. We want you to say publicly or send a letter that says it publicly, or you can send a letter privately to them and say that you sent the letter. That's okay. That you want them to fix the problem. To every state that has had this, and I just posted a list of black people who've been slaughtered in the street. That's what I'm calling slaughtered. Now, they weren't just shot. It wasn't just an unarmed black man. It was a black man, a black woman, a black person, a black child, slaughtered by law enforcement. We want the CEO of Starbucks to make some type of gesture towards the top elected officials that he wants something done. And then I also want you all, and I'm not going to give this one up, I want you all to do the same thing with uh, Walmart, and with Apple. You said it's about discrimination, and discriminating against one is discriminating against us all, and no one should tolerate it, and we're Americans, black people getting killed in the streets. You said this might harm LGBTQ people. We know it's killing black people right now. Where are you? Let's, let's, let's use our collective voice, we're 14% of the population. They say the LGBTQ community is 
maybe 2 to 10%. Let's say it's 10%. We're 13%. So if they can do it for a population that's even smaller, then of course they should be able to do it for us, right? Right. Let's press the test. Let's press the test. I mean, what are they going to do? Stop selling us their product? I doubt it. We're just asking. We're just asking them for the same thing that they did for those that they support. Well, support us too. That's what we're asking. That's what I'm asking you to do. Let's put pressure on. Frederick Douglass told us years ago that it, without us asserting force against the system, the system is not going to change. Walmart and Apple have now set the precedent that corporations can get involved involved with social issues. Since they've done it, why can't they do it for us? There you have it. So, wow, we just about took up. Oh, we got a we got a call, Angela. Let's, let's awesome. Good afternoon. You're on Our Own Voices Live with Rodney and Angela. We are talking Welcome to about the, show. the The question is, is America at war with black people? And we're going to get to Clark County politics and politics near you shortly, like right after your call. Do you have a comment for us or a question? Yes, sir, I do. Uh, answer specifically your question. Is America at war with black people? Uh, I think not. What I think is actually happening is, a significant portion of America, to include black Americans, and many white Americans, are at war with reason and rationality. That's what I think is going on. I think there's a concerted effort to demagogue this issue beyond reason and beyond all out of proportion to what the actual threat is, and a complete utter failure in, cognitive, in the most cognitively dissonant sense to identify the real plight within the black community. And I think that's what's going on. Okay, so we can talk about the real plight of the black community, which has many facets, and that's okay. We, we talk about that on this show. But on this particular issue of law enforcement officials killing black people, in some cases not even charged with a criminal act, do well, you, as do a, you see as that a matter that is a problem fact, or not? As a matter of fact, yes, law enforcement officials are killing black people. Most of the killings, the overwhelming majority of them, are justified legally and ethically. Some are not. But anytime you have government agencies involved, you always have wrongdoing of some sort or other. The purpose of our form of government is to hold them accountable. And in most respects, they are, in fact, being held accountable. Uh, look at the recent charges in North Carolina with Officer Slager, the conviction of Officer Johannes Merceli in Oakland for killing Oscar Grant. He was convicted. He was sent to jail. This recent uh, thing in this other trooper in, I think, North Carolina, where he apparently shot this man after asking for his ID. The guy reached back in his car, looking in his glove compartment to get his wallet. The officer shot him. This officer was indicted and is presently awaiting trial uh, for that shooting even though the man did survive. So, yes, the answer is yes, officers are killing people. They are being mainly held accountable. And, and the threat posed 
by these errant law enforcement officers is is magnified way out of proportion of what it actually is. I've never seen worse in my life. It's I mean, the, the facts are the, 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 the everything is being contradicted by fact. If you look at fact involving the universe of police shootings, particularly the universe of shootings uh, of, of, of black suspects by, by police officers, whether they're white or black, the statistics simply don't bear it out. They just don't. You, so what you're saying, I just want to make sure that I'm getting your message. What you're saying is with the current laws and the way the current laws are enforced now, that the killings of black people in America is legally justified, and it, you also, I believe, and feel free to correct me, said morally and ethically correct? Yes, sir. I'll give you a perfect example. I have studied the case of Mike Brown and Darren Wilson backwards and forwards. I've got a file on my computer that contains about 160 megabytes of data on that case. I've read every single syllable. I've gone and looked at the transcripts of the grand jury. I've looked at all the evidence, and I'm here to tell you, without equivocation, without, uh, without any hesitation whatsoever, the shooting of Mike Brown by Officer Darren Wilson was completely morally and legally justified. Completely. The shooting of Trayvon Martin by George Zimmerman was a completely justified case of simple self-defense. The shooting of uh, 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 Scott Walker, uh, Mr. Walker in South Carolina, appears to be a case of either negligent homicide or second-degree murder, depending on how you want to look at it. So it depends on the case. Case by case, you have to examine what the details are. Like they say, the devil is in the details. So, you know, anytime you insert the devil in it, since the devil in our society is not considered something positive, that means it's something negative. But I, I do want to go back to something that you said, and this is, I don't know if you heard the whole show, but one of the things I said is that we should look at the entire system because when these things can happen, and large portions of society, especially the African-American community, says that, and we are citizens, says that there's something wrong with this and something needs to be done about it and it needs to be fixed. It's some, it could be that the system, the structure that we're operating in today needs to be changed. Um, and well, l- I won't get into. I can't say talk about the ethics of it and the morality of it because I don't know what your ethics and morality are, as people tend to have it for themselves. But when we talk about legally, is it justified? If it went through a case in our court system and they determined that yes, with the current laws that we have, it was justified. It is not the argument so much that the law justified it. What the question then becomes is, is there a problem with the laws? And then finally on that particular topic, not only is there the question, is there an issue with the law, but is there issues in the enforcement and the administration of the laws that continually lead to these incidents happening? All right. Uh, those are fair so, questions to ask. Should we look? Should we look at that? Should we? Should we kind of pull ourselves back, 
and look at those things to see if there is a fin- fundamental flaw that allows these things and in some cases maybe instigates these things to happen because people know that they can get away with it or it, it you know, we could go into a lot of psycho- psychology and sociology on this. But I'm saying maybe there's just a problem, a systemic problem in the structure because these things continue to happen. Well, no, sir, those are fair and proper questions to ask anytime you involve government, every single time. Now, understand, sir, I am not a moral relativist. I believe in transcendently objective moral principles as defined by the classical Western philosophers and the Bible and the Declaration of Independence. That's my belief system. It is pretty black and white. So I'm not a moral relativist by any means. And I, as I said earlier, what must be held to Utter accountability is government. Police are agents of government empowered with the authority to use deadly force against people. And in that aspect, they must be held to the strictest standards of scrutiny. So believe me, sir, I am absolutely as concerned as you may be about uh, whether or not the police acted properly in taking a citizen or any person within the boundaries of the United States life under any circumstances. So I want to make that absolutely clear. I hope I have. I hope you don't think I'm I, I am being disingenuous or insincere. Because I am first of all, I'm a former police officer, and I believe that absolutely. I used to instruct police officers in the use of deadly force because I was a firearms instructor and a self-defense instructor and a use of force instructor, as well as a street cop for 28 years. I'm now retired. So believe me, sir, I, I take it very seriously. And and being a constitutionalist. You gotta hold government accountable. Let me say that again. But the, I think much of your disquiet stems from the fact that if you look at where these shootings occur, in every single instance, let me say it again, sir, in every single instance, without exception, where these controversies are occurring, they occur in places that are run exclusively by Democrat, Democrats installed police chiefs. Democrat administrations, and most often Democrat states. The corruption is entrenched with a particular form of government that Democrats allow. Now, I'm not I'm saying that Republicans <coughs> wouldn't allow yeah. for that either. Well, I would like to encourage you to just, you know, let's have a conversation. You call, we appreciate your call, but you call and your 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 voice is always... You know you're 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 very passionate, but you're very loud also. And this isn't about an argument. It is about let's get it out the facts and let's have a a nice discourse. And then, not a lot of people were aware of this, but uh, oh, we got a little uh, background. We got a little background noise there. Definitely not me. It's me. It's the Baltimore. I'm watching the I'm watching the protests in in Baltimore. It just came on and. Uh, you know, I, I I feel your passion. I understand your point, and you know, you're you're a well-read gentleman. You you read these cases back backwards and forth, but your passion reflects, I think, the temperature of of a lot of Americans. We want to just say, look, let's just not harm each other. We have a whole <laughs> justice system that will take care. Uh, if if a person is charged with a crime, let's just put it through the system. Nobody has to die. 
Uh, well, sometimes they do, madam. I, I, I beg to differ with you. I'm just sorry. Sometimes they do. That is the reason for self-defense. It is the reason for it. I'm, I'm sorry. Not every – most – look, police officers make millions of arrests a year. Hundreds of thousands of them involve arresting an offender who has used deadly force and is resisting police officers using deadly force. Yet and still, hundreds of thousands of times, police officers <coughs> never kill the suspect. Hundreds of thousands. Now, as best we're able to determine, with the best data available, and this is arguable, I am trying to narrow this figure down because it admittedly is a rather broad range. Out of agencies that report killings by police to the FBI through the Uniform Crime Reporting System, about 400 deaths occurred police hands a year. But if you look at all of the police agencies in the country, and not all of them report deaths by police to the FBI every year under the Uniform Crime System, because there is no requirement that they do so, it is voluntary, it may be as high as 1,000, but we don't know for sure. The only way to tell for sure is to tease out in every single county. That means researchers will have to go to every single county but in the one, United States. But I, because, you know, I understand. Me, every I, I, hear single you. I just want to interject here. I just want to interject here. Justice one t- injustice one time is injustice everywhere. It shouldn't be but one man, time. And, and we need to address the wrongfulness of it and get the proper policy in place, get the proper, if it's no mandate in in something key that needs to be reported, let's put that piece in place. But but for it to happen one time in my city, (laughs) Chicago, Rekha, she should not be dead. Ma'am. Look, She wasn't doing anything. She was 22 years old, walking down the street. The officer for whatever reason, felt justified in shooting into a crowd of young people. That is not necessary. And whatever policies policies we need to put in place to ensure that another 22-year-old woman doesn't get shot down just going to the store, we need to do that. No, no, ma'am. It's criminal. If a police officer randomly shot into a crowd of people, that absolutely that's not happened. just And he absolutely it's got exonerated. He, he the, the charges absolutely were thrown out, thrown out by a sitting judge saying that this charge was not Proving by the well, definition well, of law well, man, his recklessness, no, and he has city, gone home, and he is about to be put back out no, on the street no, no, man, to patrol, a, to patrol and police a community but, again. That is man, wrong, and we I need worked, to fix that. I, I worked in Chicago. A city judge does not have the authority to throw out a criminal case. Well, city apparently things have changed, sir, cases. because this is a fact. In America today, no, no, this just happened. You said a city judge throughout the case. They don't have. I said the a sitting. I said, excuse me. I said a sitting judge right now oh, that sitting. has the has the authority okay. over the case. Put that case. Put it out. Didn't didn't put it before the uh, people. Put it out for the basis <laughs> of these charges. Does not did not prove that officer's recklessness. Okay, uh, I don't know the details of the case of which you refer to and the, and the rash because the judge had to give a reason 
for dismissing the case. So I, I don't know what it, it was. You. He said that the and, charges did not prove, by the definition of Illinois law, this office, it didn't highlight the proof of his recklessness, according to the law. All right. The, uh, what now, that all boiled down to was that he should have been charged with first-degree murder. All right. Well, again, uh, instead I, he was charged with manslaughter. And that's those are the charges. And that's that just, what they used to throw out. Those the are the case charges entirely. that were dismissed. The manslaughter charges were dismissed. Is that correct? The whole case was dismissed. It was well, no, thrown said, out, be- and because of double jeopardy, they cannot charge this officer now. He's well, back no, with his wait, job. Wait a minute, ma'am. Hold on now. Wait a minute now. Uh, uh, are you telling me that he was? they threw the charges out before a trial? Yes, yes, sir. Well, he can be charged again if new evidence is introduced. That's not correct. If, if he goes to trial and he's acquitted, okay. or if it happens during the formal proceeding of a trial, double jeopardy attaches. If it's a pre-trial motion to dismiss charges, he can be charged again. So that's not well, true. Well, I'm going by what they're reporting. I'm going no, they're by reporting what incorrectly the, hold on, they're saying. What they're, what, no, what they're as a matter saying, of fact, that's just not correct. I'm sorry. It okay, is, well, I don't care what every outlet in America is wrong then. No, ma'am, if, the, if he went to trial and was acquitted or during the trial – the judge dismissed the charges. You are correct. Double jeopardy attaches. If this, it sounds to me like you're talking about a pre-trial motion of some sort. Well, how, about, how about we? How about we? Look how at about we way? just stick how to about, the point how, that? Hold okay. on, yeah, Rodney. How about we point. just stick to the point that one injustice that shouldn't have ever okay, happened. But, all right. Now, what? Since this judge. Who is legally empowered? I'm not going to argue. I'm not did. an attorney. I'm not an attorney, sir. And and a, I don't want to argue. I really just want to have a conversation yeah, and exchange. A I, have a I simply what? want to say this: that young lady's life is taken. That family's that uh, fam her whole family's life is changed yes, forever, yes. and that is wrong. Yes. And that's what me and Mr. Smith are speaking to today yes. now, my and every day. You. And and you know, each time you call in, you want to argue. Legalities, myself or Rodney, well, we're not you, lawyers you, you or judges. You mentioned them, ma'am. You mentioned the legalities, and I, I mentioned the new story. You said. All okay. right, let me ask you a question. Let me let me. Yeah, ask I don't want to be yelled at, right, Rodney. Right. I'm going to excuse me, myself because may, this may is too I much. May I ask you a question, please? May I ask you a question? All right, you said the system needs changing. Now, in order to prevent this sort of, as you see, abuse, which just occurred, that you just cited. What change to the system do you wish to enact to ensure that it doesn't happen again? Without my personal, proper, thorough going through of the entire situation, I don't even want to pretend to know what to do in, well, I would think that's in part this of the case. I'm, saying, I'm simply saying, sir, you want me to answer or you want your answer? Because I'll be happy to just let you answer it. Well, I know I'm what type of saying, changes I would like to see to the system, because I do have changes I'd like to see made. That's great. And I know what kind I of changes I'm because I, I would agree with case. you that there is, and there will always be corruption and abuse within the system. It will never And stop. we should it's always a, be vigilant Eternal vigilance it. is the price of liberty. 
Thomas Jefferson said, and it's true. Right. So, so that, I, I agree with you. There are changes that need to be made, but they are incremental. It doesn't mean you scrap the system and you throw the whole thing out along with the presumption of innocence, the right to counsel, the right to have a full airing of the charges against you, the right to a fair trial. We don't need to scrap any of that in order to prevent the grief of families who are grief-stricken over the loss of their loved ones. I don't I think we need to do that. that. I, I never suggested that, No, I, I, and I agree you with you I, I didn't that. say you did. I, I'm, I'm simply saying that we can fix problems or we can at least address specific instances without saying we need a wholesale change within the system because I think the system itself as a matter of principle, it's pretty darn good. Now, as a matter of particulars, maybe not so much. But you've got to go with the facts of the case. You've got to look at the individual facts of the case instead of saying, oh, God, we've got abuse within the system. Well, it's run by human beings. They are flawed. They are corrupt. Some of them are evil. Some of them are mendacious. Some of them are, are duplicitous. I mean, I mean, for God's sake, it will always be. Do you think anybody's system is ever not going to be riddled with that sort of thing? Then, well, then, well, then the people in the street are just because because if if that's it, if that's fact, then we should always be vigilant. We should always be willing to stand up in light of injustice. Period. I agree with you, ma'am. I completely agree. And I'm saying let's look at the facts of the case. Slager is going to face the bar of justice, as he should. He looks to me like second-degree murder. That's what it looks like to me. Uh, Officer Wilson, no, he should not face justice. He did his duty, and he did nothing mm-hmm. illegal or wrong. Uh, George sure. Zimmerman had a lawful case of self-defense. He did nothing illegal or wrong. Johannes Merceli, apparently second-degree murder of Oscar Grant. He deserves to face the bar of justice. He did. He's in jail now. Uh, this guy in Texas, this deputy. Uh, sec- again, second degree, third degree manslaughter. He needs to face the bar of justice. Depends on the case. But but what we're getting now is, is, is almost as though we don't need to look at the facts. We know there's injustice out there. Let's have uh, uh, execution first, trial later. I'm not going to go with that ever as long as we have a system of justice and we're not under martial law. Well, I'm glad that you two have been able to flush that out. And I'll go back to what was originally stated, is that the system is flawed right now. Whether it's one thing in the system or multiplicity of things in the system, the system is flawed. We know that humans operate everything that we do in government. Humans are the ones who put it into place. So to say that, well, there's always going to be flaws tends to sort of push aside these issues that we have. And the issue is that regardless of what the law says, or in some cases, it is the interpretation of what the law says. It is the willingness to enforce or not what the law says that seems to say that the system and those who run the system, there is something wrong with it because there are black people, and there's others too, but there are black people being slaughtered in the streets of America by a government agency, and thus far, there has not been sufficient change to reduce the level of violence 
against black people in America today. Okay, sir. Again, the same question I asked your colleague. You are addressing what you see as systemic flaws within the system. What changes, even in a general sense, do you think should be made to address these systemic flaws that you just spoke to specifically? Well, well, what I said earlier, and we're running way over time, so we'll do two more minutes and we've got to go to our other segment, is I suggested that everyone who is on a involved with the police review board as a, a start should look at whatever local cases that there are currently and that there have been in the past and review those cases to see where things went wrong and then to use that as a learning tool to put in place methods and procedures so that those to minimize the opportunity of those things happening again. I also said that we have possibly a problem with white people in America in how they view black people in America that may be on a sociological or psychological level that needs to be addressed. I do believe in the use of body cameras. I believe in the use of dash cams. But none of that will make a difference if the defense of I felt that my life was in danger is always the get-out-of-jail-free card for the police because if they have an inherent sense of danger of black people, then they will always be justified in their actions towards black people up to and including killing us. Those are things that need to be addressed immediately. I also said that just as large corporations with Walmart and Apple being at the top were able to immediately, almost immediately, within hours, address an issue of a different community that said that there was a potential of what happens to black people, that's what it came down to, it said harm, to their community, then that law needs to be changed. They saw an issue with the law and the law that was about to be signed in. I'm saying that we also have issues with our laws, our uh, regulations, our statutes, we also have an issue with the enforcement as well as the interpretation of it. I also use that as an example. Stop, question, and frisk is done at a disproportionate rate to African Americans supposedly looking for guns and drugs. When statistics says that African Americans are less likely to have guns and drugs, and that the majority, the vast majority of the time, that when these folks are stopped, questioned, and frisked, nothing is found. One of the issues with that, just besides my sense of agency and freedom in, to walk around in America, is the fact that there's possibly criminals, people who are doing these criminal acts that they're looking for, 
that are going free because their focus is so much on us because of whatever psychological reasoning they have. So Um. if we want proper law enforcement and we feel that these things that they're looking for are that big of a threat to society, but they're spending all of their time looking for where it isn't, allowing where it is to continue to flourish, then even from a, if somebody was looking at it from a simple tax dollars perspective, then there's something flawed with that too. That's why I said that this is something that has risen beyond the point of individual jurisdictions fixing it. And it has risen to the level that as American citizens, we need to get our federal government, and I'm not even a big uh, federal government type of guy, that we need because our local law enforcement hasn't been able to fix it, whether it's a lack of will, I don't know what it is, but they haven't been able to fix it. And this needs to be fixed before it's me, before it's my child or your child or Angela's child, because it will be another one. So, no, I don't want to argue about it. I don't mind having a discussion about it. If there is a problem, then let's try to fix the problem, however that needs to be fixed. I said we need a review of the entire system. That's what I said. And if we found out that the entire system was bad, yes, I don't mind throwing it out and bringing in something that's different. It may have some of the same things in it that work, but then again, Maybe not. We won't know until we do that review and we make that determination. That's what I'm advocating for on the show today. That's what I've advocated in the past. That's what I'm going to continue to advocate for. And I do want people to contact their local elected officials, black people for sure, but this is an American problem because these are American citizens. Unless we're saying that Black people, this can happen to black people and no one else should get involved, which isn't very American to me, then everyone should be involved. But for sure, I want black people to be involved because it is impacting us at a disproportionate level than anyone else. But, you know, our two minutes is up because we spent a little extra time. I appreciate your call. Uh, I would appreciate, though, that you temper your passion down a little bit. You know, we do have a lady amongst us. And let's have these conversations from a reasonable standpoint. Maybe you might add something to the discussion that I don't know or that makes a difference. But we oh, there's a great deal it. that I would have. Uh, apparently, we don't, we don't have the time to respond. I don't have time today, apparently. But believe me, there is so much in what you just said. I have specific response to, again, not only based on empirical observation, but on statistically corroborable data which sort of belies uh, the, the, um, the, the notion that black men are being disproportionately targeted for Terry stops, which you refer to as stop and frisk. And by the way, no police officer is allowed to stop and frisk legally. I'm not talking about what they might do in a corrupt or improper fashion, but legally police officers are not allowed to stop you to search for guns and drugs. That's not what a Terry stop is allowed to do by a police officer. So once we understand what the actual legal parameters are, then we can talk about how cops may be fudging things a bit, and I know they do. I'm not going to try to pretend that they don't. But, but, but we do have a constitution at work here. It has been interpreted, 
as to how it's supposed to allow. There is, whether we want to admit it or not, and believe me, I for the longest time did not want to admit this. I did not want to face this. I did not want to acknowledge this fundamental truth as being a fact. And that is there is a wildly disproportionate problem with violent crime in the black community, particularly young black men. It is horrendous. It is wildly beyond any other uh, uh, ethnic group in the country by vast majorities. And for us to pretend that isn't so is also an act of delusion and cognitive dissonance. It will, it will not enable us to fix this problem if we don't confront it for what it is, along with demanding that the police behave properly and legally. Both must be done. Our own voices live on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, please leave whatever additional comments, post whatever material that you would like there that will highlight your point of view. Uh, That's why it's there. Uh, But we do need to move on uh, from this segment as we have another segment that we would like to talk about today. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank, thank you for, you for taking my call. But, I, it was a lively discussion, to, and I appreciate it very much. But please go to Our Own Voices live on Facebook. We have a Facebook event there for this show, and add whatever material and commentary that you would like there, and we can continue Certainly. the discussion outside of the broadcast. Certainly, will do. All right, thank you very much. Well, that was quite a lively back and forth, and people do have different opinions on this topic, different perspectives, different points of views. I often say if you look at the top of the table, it looks a lot different than if you look at it laying on your back and looking up at it. So those things are true. How to fix it, that's what we can discuss. But it is broken, and it needs to be fixed. The other topic that we had today was Clark County politics and politics near you. And what brought this to the fore was I attended a Clark County Democratic Party Central Committee meeting. And during that Central Committee meeting, I took pictures and I posted them, and I'll post them directly into the the Facebook uh, page for the show, is I noticed an absence of black people. And I was surprised, since black people tend to be the backbone of the Democratic Party. But there were no black people there. Well, there was, I think, five of us. I also had an occasion, to some, on my way out, three of the black people that were there greeted me, and they were very upset. And one of the things that they were upset about is they said that they no longer felt comfortable in the Democratic Party. And so I listened to them, and then I asked them, because I'm used to seeing black people. I said, well, where are all the black people? They just take the day off? And the response was, many of them feel as if they've been run away from the party. And I heard that, and I was really shocked. So I'm going to try to get uh, someone representing the Clark County Democratic Party onto the show to respond to that 
because to see the look on these people's faces who have been active participants in the party, whether I agree with them or not, is not the issue. It's the fact that I know that they have been, and for them to have that feeling, it made it seem as if there was a rift. And then I heard it from multiple people that were black that were there. Now, there were some blacks who were in support of the party. I also noticed that they had multiple black, I guess, clubs in the party, and there was some discussion of that. So that led me to wanting to do a show today to address Clark County politics and also politics near you. Is there an issue, you know, we talked about violence amongst black people uh, by law enforcement. This isn't necessarily a violence issue, but is there a change in the Democratic Party now that there's no longer a black person running for president and has a high chance of becoming president? And if so, is this a natural thing for blacks and whites to have this division. I think back to the founding of this country, and uh, the history book, as my teachers and professors told me, a part of it was that America was an experiment. And though we call it a country, some people call it a republic, we call it a bunch of things, he said one thing that it is and we should not lose sight on is that it is an experiment that has not been proven, though it has has had large-scale successes. Nevertheless, it is still an experiment. And that what we have done in America really wasn't done on broad scale any place else but here. Now, we talk about sectarian violence in the Middle East, as I mentioned earlier. We talked about tribal violence, you know, we talk about these various different segments and factions. Well, America has those same segments and factions, but there was something that kind of tied us together that seemed to, for decades, if not longer, keep us kind of moving somewhat together. Now, there will be some people who say, well, Rodney, from the beginning of this, that wasn't the case, because the first original sin of this country was look what the American, the, the European powers did to the natives that was on this land. What was the 20 to 40 million of them? 90% of them were killed or died out during the occupation, the takeover of their land. If we look at what America did to African, Africans who are now African Americans by enslaving them, if, if we look at what Americans did to the Irish, the Italian, at some point, there were always some people who had some things done to them. So is what we're seeing in the political realm, what we're seeing in our streets, is this just a natural occurrence of when you have different people from different religions, different ethnicities and cultures, races come together? Are we seeing the fraying or fracturing of America? on a political scale, and is it, are we seeing it more now in this time of our first black president? You know, we really don't have time to go into it. I apologize. 
we will bring this back on the air to discuss it, and I hope you all will join us uh, every Saturday, 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast, 3.30 p.m. on the East Coast. Uh, we will be back next Saturday to discuss this topic as well as others. Please go to Our Own Voices Live on Facebook so we can broach some of these issues and continue some issues that we've already touched upon. I do want to leave you all with a, a couple of things, and I mentioned this earlier, and I think it's relevant to mention it again. It's a poem that I want to, that was written during the abuses of the Nazis towards the Jews that I find it to be applicable today in what we're seeing with violence towards black Americans, and maybe it even applies to other areas too. And this particular poem was written, I'll spell out his name, Pastor N-I-E-M-O-L-L-E-R. And the first part goes this way. First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And the part that I have inserted is then they came for the black man, and I did not speak out because I was not a black man. And then from the original poem, then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Think about that. Reflect on it. Go to Our Own Voices Live and let's speak on it. It's posted there. Angela, did you have any final comments to close out the show? Well, I want everyone to have a great and productive week. I thank our caller today. I thank everyone that is in the uh, reach of my voice and Rodney's voice for tuning in. Um, it takes a you know a whole world. It takes all of us to make a whole world. So uh, I shared a link on our own voices face Facebook page. If you'd like to look at the live stream of the Baltimore protests, tune in, show up, help out. Have a great week. Bye bye everyone. See you next Saturday.